right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Don't you, don't you long for that? Don't you, don't you long to hear that, that through all the struggle of this life, through all the difficulties that you've been through, that it was worth it all? Don't, don't we long for that? Don't, don't we long to know that, that maybe, you know, my, my following the Lord hasn't been perfect. I've had ups and downs. I've followed Him well. I've fallen off, not, not followed Him very well. But in the end, really, what I want to hear from Him in that day is well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. So, so we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus, and we've been talking about, we talked about the very first thing that it's about. It has to be first and primarily about relationship. It, following Jesus, being a disciple, doing the things that disciples of Jesus do, it doesn't happen outside of a relationship with, with uh, Jesus Christ. Amen. J- Jesus taught this in John chapter 15. You remember, he says, um, um, uh, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing but abide in me and remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. So, so we, we remember this, right? If, if we're not spending time in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we can accomplish nothing. But in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, abiding in Him, living in His Word, abiding in time of prayer, meditation to Him, we can accomplish, we can bear what? Much fruit, right? We can, we can have very fruitful lives. I want to talk to you today. I'm going to start with an Start with a, a short illustration from history. Um, Eric Metaxas has a book out called Seven Men. And men, by the way, it'd be a great book for you to own. Uh, Eric Metaxas, uh, book Seven Men. He's the same gentleman that wrote about William Wilberforce um, and called it um, Amazing Grace. Yes, I always have to look to someone younger than me to remember. Thank you, Jonathan. I wrote the book Amazing Grace that the movie was then built on. He wrote another book called uh, Seven Men, and it's a short biography of seven different men. Um, from a Christian perspective, Christian men who, who really did change the world around them. So in, in his book, um, Seven Men, he gives the account of, uh, of George Washington. This is General George Washington at, a time, at this time. This is before he's president. This is March of 1783, and the American War for Independence had finally been won after years of sacrifice by American soldiers and American uh, Navy men. Um, and, but it would still be six months until ultimately until the Treaty of Paris was signed. And so this was actually a very odd time in, in American history because what had happened was the British were defeated and they were headed out of the country, but then there were still some that were remaining. There were still some skirmishes and some small battles that were going on. And at that time, what had happened was the United States government was broke. They had no money. And these men had basically been working off of IOUs from the United States government in, under the, the uh, American Army, under the, the Continental Army. They were under um, an IOU that basically said, we will pay you back pay and pay you pension. Well, after the war started to come to an end, it became very apparent that the United States government didn't have enough money to pay the, her soldiers. Right? And so this brought up quite a, uh, quite a bit of anger and quite a bit of disappointment. And rightly so. These men had been, had been, many of them had given their lives. Many of them went and fought in the war because it was a way that they could feed their families. They had given years of their lives. And to now to get to the point where the American Congress was saying, thank you for your service, but we can give you very little and we can't give you what they promised. It made the officers and the infantrymen and, and the Navy men very angry, and understandably so. They had made incredible sacrifices to be away from their families um, uh, for years. So what happened was there were a couple of conspiracies that happened in that time. Over a period of about a year, there were different conspiracies about how those soldiers might extract from the U.S. Congress the money that they were owed. 
So there, was a, there were a couple of conspiracies. One of the conspiracies was that, that maybe what they should do is, after the war had finished, they shouldn't disband the army so that the army could remain and take over the federal government to insist that um, the army got its pay. The other thing that they talked about doing was just totally disbanding the army at that moment and leaving the British, some of the British soldiers there and the British army there and that they could then, you know, would be a threat to put down the, this fledgling American government at the time. Well, George, General George Washington became aware of some of the conspiracies and, and one of the conspirators had gathered, had called a meeting of, of many of the officers of the army and they called them together in Newburgh, New York and this became known as the Newburgh Conspiracy. And, and they called these officers together and General Washington found out about it and he countermanded the, the, uh, the, the, the meeting. He said, no, you're not going to meet at this time and, and he sent out word that they were not to meet. And he set up a meeting with all of the officers five days later Five days later, in, in his army headquarters in Newburgh, New York, uh, George Washington talked to, the, to those officers, and he encouraged them by this. He, he just spoke incredibly eloquently. It's just an incredible speech. You should, you should look it up sometime. You should, you should read it. It's been recorded for us. We still have it today. He gave this incredibly eloquent speech, and he talked to the men about, you have sacrificed too much to be tarnishing the honor that you've deserved. To tarnish the army that, that you des- to tarnish, tarnish the honor that, and the respect that your sacrifice has made. You've worked too hard. You've sacrificed too much to tarnish it now by insisting on some sort of either treason or tyranny. He said, You've done too much. He finished this incredibly eloquent speech, but there was too much anger and there was too much hurt, and the men were unmoved. These, these battle-hardened men had made up their minds that they were going to force the U.S. Congress to do what was right and to pay them. So at that moment, George Washington took out a letter from his pocket from a congressman from, Urgin- from Virginia, and he began, he said, I have one more thing to read to you. I've got one more thing to tell you, and the, the room was cl- quiet. He began reading the letter from this Virginia congressman, and as he did, he his words began to stumble because he couldn't see the letters very well. And so he reached into his waist pocket and he, he pulled out a wire rim pair of spectacles and he put them on his face to read. And something incredible happened at that moment. His men had never seen their 51-year-old general read with a pair of reading glasses before. In fact, they'd always seen him as strong. In fact, there were, there were kind of rumors going around that, that George Washington was, 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 uh, uh, in, was unbeatable, right? He would show up from, from battles and he'd have holes in his hat and holes in his coats and, and all over this stuff. But he, he was never, never, never killed in battle. And, and even though he stood in the midst of bullets and in the midst of gunfire and swords, he was never injured seriously. He pulled out the speckles, his spectacles, spectacles, I'll get in a minute, And he said, gentlemen, you must pardon me. I have grown gray in your service and now find myself going blind. And at that moment of disarming humility, he completely disarmed those battle-hardened men and the anger in the room subsided and they were utterly changed. Many of the men, the account reads, many of the men wept bitterly, openly, as Washington read the letter and then quietly just walked out of the room. But in that one moment of humility, he reminded those men of something that they needed to be reminded of, and it wasn't just their own glory and their own honor. It was the fact that they had given so much for such a great cause, and they had all done it together 
for years and they had fought together for years and they had all given up years of their life. And some of them, like George Washington, had become old in their service. But they had given themselves for something much greater than themselves. And it was because of his actions, it was because of his humility, it was because of the reminder that those men had fought for something bigger than themselves that the United States exists today. How about that? You know, there's a, there's a point in which it's very true that, that we were all created for, with, with a longing for a very deep sense of purpose. We all have this longing for something that's much bigger than ourselves, and we want to be a part of something much larger than ourselves. And if we're, going to, if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a good thing because the Lord Jesus Christ made himself a part of something much, much larger than him. And matter of fact, if you're going to follow Jesus, you'll, you're going to be called on to abandon yourself and live for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. You'll be, you'll be called on to to live for something much greater than yourself. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 48. John 8, 48. Here we go. So um, all, all the time the Jews, the Pharisees in particular, were, were saying things about Jesus. And here's one that's one of the most outrageous, right? Here we go. So John 8, 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? How about that? I mean, you've been called a lot of names, right? You ever been called that? How about that? Um, you, that you're a Samaritan and that you're a demon-possessed. Jesus said in verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But, here we go, are you ready? But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Verse 54. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. Um, if I said, if, if, I'm sorry. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I, do not, but, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. This is one of the greatest, I think, showdowns of, of Jesus and the Pharisees of all time, right? We have many times where, where Jesus gets in this squabble. They're trying to bring up some little, uh, some little part of the law to find something that Jesus had done wrong, and it's happening all the time. And Jesus, of course, always more wisdom, always more love toward people, um, always a better understanding of who God is uh, because, of course, he is God. Um, this is one of those great times, and I love this because what they're saying is, aren't you a Samaritan or demon-possessed? And Jesus, in, the, in response, declares, I am. I am the all-existent, eternally existent God. And Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. So here Jesus is proclaiming his existence eternal in, in, in eternity past, um, which is fantastic that we have it here in the Scriptures um, so that we know that, that Jesus, more than a man, he is God. Amen? Okay, but let's go back and, and reread it. Look with me in verse 49. I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my Father. 
I love those words. I love those words. I love to see the Lord Jesus Christ talking about honoring his father. Jesus lived to glorify the father. We know that in other places where Jesus said, when Jesus spoke, he said things like, I don't speak on my own accord. I only speak what I, what my, I hear my father saying. And he said, I don't do anything that I want to do. I only do what I see my father doing. And he had, he had submitted his whole life he had submitted his whole life. He had su- submitted his words. He had submitted his action to, the, to, to be in submission to the glory of his Father, yeah? which, is, which is great for us because here's the deal is that he is our example. We are supposed to submit ourselves to the greater glory of our heavenly Father. Amen? That's, uh, we're going to keep talking about that, but here we go. So, so here we go. The Father is worthy of our honor because of who he is. You know, God the Father, he is the, the king of glory. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one who invented physics, right? He came up with chemistry. You know, hydrogen was his idea, right? He's the one that created all of this. He created butterflies, and he created basalt, and he invented volcanoes, and all of this was his great idea. I love one of the Psalms says that the, this, this talks about the heavenly host, the stars of heaven. They declare the glory of God. It says they pour forth speech, even though they can't speak, just their existence and their beauty in the night sky declares the glory of their creator over and over and over again, night after night after night. When you look at the stars, you can look at them and all of us can look at in response to God and we can say, we see your glory in creation and we can all say, yes, Lord Jesus and, Lord, and, and God the Father, you are glorious. Amen? He is glorious as a creator. He is glorious as a king. He's also the one that we, we, we learn in the Old Testament in particular, that he's the same God who is abounding in love. He's slow to anger. He's also perfect in holiness. He never does anything wrong. He never does anything towards us that, 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 uh, that we're undeserving of. He's never unjust in all of his power, in all of his authority, and never goes to his head, right? He never punishes the, those who are, who are, who are uh, unworthy of punishment. So, so the first thing is the Father is worthy of our honor because of who he is. The second thing, though, is the Father is worthy of our honor because of what he's done. Here's the great thing about our God is that he has the greatest purpose in the universe. When, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, it affected all of creation. All of creation was, was, was caught up now and, and broken and, and twisted because of the sin that mankind did here on, on this planet. And what the Bible declares, especially through the Gospels, is it declares and it says that God will renew all things. He will be savior of all who would believe in him, and he will redeem all of the universe because of the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has this great purpose for you and for me as well. Um, so, yeah, so Jesus Christ, some of the things he said, he said, I came to preach the good news. He said, I came to seek and to save that which, which was lost. He said, I came so that those who were dead might have eternal life. Um, and this is the great glory of the Father. And Jesus said, Jesus took it and he said, I will honor him. I will be a part of what he's doing. I will be a part of his great purpose. And his example is for us, is that, Lord, the, that God the Father is worthy of our honor and our glory as well. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep going. Look with me in verse 50. So he says, but I, I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Verse 50, I am not seeking glory for myself. But there is one who seeks it, 
and he is the judge. So verse 50, he says, I am not seeking honor for myself. Here again, Jesus set the example for us. We're not to live for our own glory. We're not to live as though we are the ones who are the kings of our world. We are not to live for our own purposes. We were created to give our lives for God's greater glory. Look with me down in verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. How about that? What, what does that mean to you that, that, that Jesus said this about himself? How about that? So if Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Thank you, brother. Uh, my glory means nothing. How much more true for you and me? If we glorify ourselves, how meaningless is it? But if we glorify our Father, whose purpose is to bring glory to himself and to redeem and to save and bring salvation to mankind, uh, what a great part, what a great purpose we have indeed. Um, so let me, let, let's talk about this. In, in verse 54, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Uh, you know, here's the deal. You, you can tell this in children, that even at a very small age, all of us are born with this natural, sinful bent to glorify ourselves, right? And, and let, me tell you what, let me tell you what I know about you because I know this about me. Whenever you are married, right, if you're married, one of the things ultimately, I mean, you never said this, you would never say this, but one of the things that you wanted as a spouse you really wanted them to kind of, you know, worship you, right? You really wanted to be kind of, I don't know, worshipped, right? You really wanted your whole marriage to be about you, right? And, and you wanted all of your, you thought, oh, here, this, my wife is going to finally make me happy. My wife's going to finally make me feel significant. My wife's finally going to make me feel important. Or my husband's, husband's finally going to make me feel significant. He's finally going to make me feel secure, Right? And, and, and in some ways, we all look to say we want to be, ultimately, we, we want to be worshipped, honestly, don't we? But here's, but here's the thing. You found out and I found out through a, a year or two, maybe seven, of marriage trouble. You found out through marriage trouble, right, is, is that I'm too hard to please. No one can make me feel significant. No one can meet all my needs. I am just too needy of a being to have all of my needs met. And so here's the trap in marriage is that, we think it's all about us, don't we? But one day, hopefully, we all learned, right? We all came to the conclusion after we struggle with our spouse, maybe for years, maybe you're, you're a little faster on the uptake than I am. It took me about seven years. But anyway, for some of you, it was maybe shorter than that. Then you be began to realize, you know what? Maybe this marriage isn't about me. And at that time, at that moment, you begin to hear some of the truth of the scriptures that said things like, Try to get everything you can out of your spouse. Instead, it says things like, love your wives like Christ loved the church, sacrificially, giving, always, never thinking about what I'm going to get out of this, but always just pouring out love for your wife, man, right? And for ladies, what, is, what, is Paul, what does Paul write in Ephesians 5? He says, and submit or respect your husband. No qualifications. Not saying there are going to be times that he deserves it and times that he's not, and you only have to show it when he deserves it. No, no, no. He says respect and submit to your husband, right? It was in that time that you and I began to, to learn, and, and God really began to transform our lives and really open our eyes for maybe for the very first time to see, you know what? Maybe my whole life isn't all about me. Donald Miller wrote the book uh, Blue Like Jazz, and, and he talks about that in a book, and, and uh, in the book a little bit. He says, he says, see, I've got this idea that I'm in a movie, 
and the, the world is my stage, and, and everything in my life is, everything that I go, come in contact with, everything I'm a part of, it's all really about me. And I know that you think that you're in a movie and it's all like about you, but that can't be true because I know that it's really all about me. And we kind of grow up that way. We kind of grow up thinking that, don't we? And it, it's kind of a harsh reality to wake up one day when we're in our, probably in our 20s when we begin to realize, you know what? I think maybe the world's not all about me right? It's a shock to your system, isn't it? It's stunning to see. It's stunning to hear uh, and to learn. And maybe the first time you learn it is in marriage when you begin to realize, you know what? This isn't working like I thought it was going to work, right? And the reason why is, is that, yeah, uh, this world is not all about us. Our marriage is not all about us. It really is all about God. Amen? Um, so, so let's talk about that. Here, so here's the deal, is that, you know, so we were born with this kind of natural bent where, where we think the world is all about ourselves. And so here's the deal, is that when you think the world is all about yourself, then your happiness became, becomes supreme in your life, right? And so when anyone treads on your happiness, there's trouble, right? There, there's a penalty to, to be paid. See, as long as I'm the center of my life, then I'm always worried about my own happiness first, and that's when we get into the most trouble. That's when I'm making my wife miserable because she can never do enough to make me happy. That's when my children are in trouble because they can never be good enough to meet my standards for how I think they ought to act when it's all about me and my reputation, about how they do in school, about how, what friends they have, and about how they do in, in extracurricular stuff. It's never enough, is it? And this is what's honestly, this is what's broken so many times in our relationships is we just think that they're all about us. But the harsh reality is, do you remember that time? Matter of fact, here you go. So you remember in the, in the Twilight Zone series, do you remember that episode where there was supposedly this, this, this great secret um, of life? The great secret of life was kind of being shared and, and uh, there was a guy who knew the, this great secret of life, but he was crazy. Do y'all remember? Does anybody remember that episode? I'm dating myself a little bit. Juice. Okay. Thank you, Juice. One guy here. All right. Okay. Well, let me just tell you, since the rest of you don't remember. Oh, my goodness. Too bad you got so old. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't remember either, except it, it just kind of popped. It's stuck in my head. So, so the, the, here's the funny thing. So, so this guy supposedly is crazy, but he knows the secret of life. He's learned it. And so what happens is, is at the very end of the episode, he whispers this great secret of life in another guy's ears. And what happens to him? Juice? He goes nuts, too. He goes crazy also, right? Because it's too big. It's too great for anyone to hear. It's too big and too great for anyone to know. Well, listen, I think I know what it is. It's this, is that the world is not about you and me. It's about our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That, that really is the secret to all of life is, is that this really isn't about me. And every problem, virtually every problem we have in relationships, it's because someone is still trying to make it about them. True? You know this in your life? I know this in mine. Every time I try to make it about me, I make my wife miserable. Every time I try to make it about me, I make my children miserable. Every time I try to make church all about me, you all suffer, right? Yeah. Yeah, th yeah, this is true, but it really is all about our glorious God. So here's the deal. God has to reorient our priorities. He's got he's to set our compass straight. You remember in the, Pirate of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, you remember they have that compass, and what's the compass point to? It, it's not north, right? It's what they desire 
most. It always so they can they can think about what they want most, and then and then this compass will point them into that direction, right? Instead of always pointing what true north, the compass is always pointing to what they want most, right? That's kind of how we are. That's kind of how we're born. That's how we kind of come up in this sinful world and in our sinful selves, is that we're always oriented to what we want most. And as long as we feel like we're the captain of our own destiny, as long as we feel like we're in charge, as long as we feel like we're the most important, we're always going to be veering to that course. So God has to come along and he's got to reorient us and to teach us and to tell us, no, it's not about you. It's about my great purpose. It's about my great cause that I'm, I'm redeeming the universe, that I'm bringing salvation to mankind, that I'm restoring what sin has broken, that I'm renewing my relationship with men and women, even today. Amen? The, that's the great work of God. So God has to re- reorient our priorities. He's got something bigger and greater for us, and he changes our, the focus of our desires. And here we go, ultimately... So you and I are made to glorify God. Here, here are a couple of points that are from, uh, from Pastor John Piper. He says this. He says, first off, he says, We were made for the express purpose of glorifying God in all times and places and circumstances. All creation reflects the glory of God, but people are different. You know the difference between the stars and people? You know the difference between a tree and you? Is that the star and the tree has no choice. They reflect the glory of God quietly because they have no choice but to reflect his glory. But God put in men and women something different than what he put in the rest of all creation. You and I can observe creation. We can, we can reason about what God has done, and we can agree with him. We can come up to the conclusion, and we can say, yes, I've seen the stars. I, I, I understood the beauty of his creation when I've seen a tree, when I've seen uh, you know, uh, uh, the flowering of, of spring, when I've seen the, the beauty of the changing of the leaves in fall, and I've come to this conclusion, God is glorious, and there's nothing else in all creation other than people like you and me who can agree with God and we can say, yes, you are glorious. And here's the, the other thing is that, and he gave us a choice. We can either decide that he's glorious or we can decide that all of this is an accident and he doesn't really exist. And he gives us that, uh, that choice. That's what makes us so unique and so different in all the planet is that we can understand and we can reason and he's built us with that ability and, that, and like that we are, we are created in his image and we're able to, to relate to him in that way unlike all the rest of creation. So not only that, not only were we made for the express purpose of glorifying God, but the second thing is this, everything in our life is an opportunity to glorify God or to not glorify God. We have the, we have the choice every day, we have the choice in every moment whether or not we're going to glorify God. You have that choice and you have that ability. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, or sorry, verse 31, the apostle Paul said, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all, meaning everything, the whole lot of life. Do everything. Even eating and drinking can be done for the glory of God or not for the glory of God. The way even that we take food. Um, every moment. So every moment of every day, you and I make decisions that will either glorify God or not. In our lives, in our church, it, it, the key question to ask about everything is this. Will it bring glory to God? And if the answer is yes, then we're oriented properly. 
If the answer is yes, then it's the right way to go. If it's not about glorifying God, then it's about some other smaller purpose that has really very little meaning. All right? So, so let me talk to you about this for just a minute. Let me try to make it, take this rule and make it, make it really personal. When marriage is about me, my spouse can never make me happy enough, and I make her and I miserable. When marriage is about God, that I'm caught up to a much higher and a much greater purpose, that, that my purpose in this relationship with this woman that God has given me is to reflect the love of God to her in her life. Amen? Uh, when, when it comes to, to purpose, when, it, when it's all about you and you're raising children, right? Listen, children are, man, they're attacks on you, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're difficult to raise. Yeah, I mean, you're laughing now. I know. You've been crying. I know. I know. It's good to laugh. It's good. Children are a tax on us, aren't they? I mean, why, you know, right, you turn to your husband, you turn to your wife sometimes, and you ask things like, why did we have them, right? We do that, don't we? But, but here's the deal. When it's all about me, when, it, when I'm all about me, then, then my children are very taxing on me, and I become very impatient with them, and, and they're, they're a nuisance, and, and they're difficult to have around. But when it's about God, when I'm thinking about the purpose of God and why he's given me children, here's the difference, right? From I'm just annoyed and they're an annoyance and they're a nuisance and they're a huge tax and they burn up all my energy and they burn up all my money, right? Instead, look at this. The difference is, is that when it's all about God and I've got his perspective about his purpose, then my 16-year-old son today, I can pour things into his life like, Jonathan, what is the most important thing I've ever told you? Uh, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Yeah, oh yeah, that's it. It's time for a little refresher on that, obviously. But I can pour that into his life knowing that that's going to outlive me. Amen? Uh, f- for what I pour into him is going to live longer than me. And, and my prayer is, is that it not only changes his life, but it affects my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, if I've been effective as a father in, in, in being in submission to the greater glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and being all about him, if I'm all about him and I pour into his life, then over and over again, I can teach him and I can tell him the glory of God over and over again in his life. And, I can, and, and, and the legacy I can leave him is greater than anything I could do on my own. Amen? Amen. How about, let's talk about work for a minute. How about work? You know, if work's all about me, what I want is I want the most pay for the least amount of work, right? Yeah. If, 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 if it's all about me, then I want as much money as I can extract from these guys and do the very least, what's funny, Tim, and do the very least that I can get away with. Is that right? But listen, when I have God's perspective and when I'm, when I'm submitting myself to him and I'm wanting to honor him with my life, then it's something totally different. Then I have the mindset, you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ was a servant and he set an example for me. And I want to serve these guys that are so kind as to feed my family for the work that I put in. And I want to serve them well. I want to serve them honorably. Amen? That's a big difference. And how about this other part is that, and not only that, but I'm wanting to rub elbows with people at work that I wouldn't ordinarily hang out with. You know what I'm saying? There are going to be people at work that you wouldn't ordinarily hang out with. This is true in school also, right, guys? Whether you're in high school, junior high, college, whatever. You're going to rub elbows with people that you'll never rub elbows with otherwise. And the question is, what do you do in their lives? 
when the focus is all about me, then I'm always looking to tell my stories. I'm always looking to be the funny guy. I'm always looking to, 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 for other people to look at my work and say, oh, man, that David Crump, man, he is something else. What a, what a hard worker. What a great guy. Listen, none of that really matters, does it? What, what if all of a sudden I had this attitude that God is the one who's to be glorified, and instead of talking all the time, to be the one who is listening, to hear what was going on in the lives of the people around me so that I might be an administrator of God's grace in their lives. Amen? Amen. What a, what a, what a difference. What a change. Um, uh, yeah, so, so let, let's finish up with this. Um, here's this. Is that, so here's, here's the deal. Here's, here's what it all comes down to is that this life, my life, it's not about me. Would you turn to your neighbor, turn to your left there and tell your neighbor, it's not about you. Yeah, how about the guy on the other side? It's, it's not about you. This, right, this really is, this really is all about God. And, and really, his purpose is the one that's going to transcend all time. Anything that we do that's less than that, anything that we do that's less than God's purpose, it really is a waste of time and a waste of energy. So let's, uh, let, me, let me close with these things. Uh, first of all, so the glory of God, the first thing is, it gives us, pur- it gives us a, a purpose greater than ourselves, our sins, and our troubles. Let me, let me give you a little litmus. If, if you're really focused on yourself, then you're really focused on your, unha- on, on your own happiness. And if you're really focused on your own happiness, then your troubles and your sin are always going to be... Uh, uh, always going to be getting you down. They're always going to be combating against your happiness. They're always going to be combating against your self-worth and your significance. But you know what? If, if you can really look, and, and listen, here's the deal. You and I venture in and out of this as believers all the time. We'll do really well for a time at, at, at making God supreme in our lives and giving God glory in our lives. And then at other times, we'll go right back into this time because it's part of our sinful nature where we want to make it all about ourselves. And so listen, no, I don't know where you're at this morning in your marriage. I don't know where you're at in relationship to your kids. I don't know where you're at in relationships at work or whatever. But here's the deal is that if you and I can get to the point that we can be praying for God's help, that he would give us his view of his glory and his purpose, then, then it can be transforming. Then all of a sudden, my sins and my troubles, they kind of take a back seat to what I'm doing. Amen? They're not quite as bad a struggle for me uh, because the, it's not the most important thing in my life that my life goes perfectly, right? My life has such greater meaning. So the glory of God gives us greater purpose than ourselves. The second thing is the glory of God keeps us from striving to be perfect. This is one of the great things about Christianity, right? If you go to school and you learn about other religions, fantastic. Listen, let them teach them. Fantastic. Because one of the things, one of the things that all religions have is that people need work, right? All religions believe this. The difference in Christianity is it took God to do it, right? It took God to make a change in us. It took the Lord Jesus Christ who came down as God and sacrificed himself for us so that he could make a change for us. And we couldn't do it ourselves. This is that's one of the great things about Christianity. So some of us really struggle and we're really very self-critical. But the great thing about Christianity, when we think about perfection, we say, oh, that's the God I worship. That's not me. I, I'll never be perfect. Now, I want to grow in my, in my Christian walk. I want to I be a better follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'll never be perfect. And so there's never this endless striving for, for, per, for perfection because we know the only one who's perfect is the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the last thing, so the glory of God gives us a greater uh, a purpose greater than ourselves. The glory of God keeps us from striving to be perfect, and the glory of God puts our lives in our rightly created order. 
once we put our lives in under that glory of, of God, then food and sex and material things are put in their proper order. Yeah? Are put in their proper order. And God is ultimate. Amen? Amen. You know, what I'm teaching to you is, uh, or these, these are really old thoughts. Matter of fact, um, um, in Edinburgh, Scotland, about, um, well, 1648, I can't do the math on the fly here. Um, in 1648, uh, a group of churches in Scotland and England and Ireland all got together in, in Edinburgh, Scotland, and they came up with what is known as the catechism, uh, the larger catechism of, of Westminster. So here's, here's the, here's, so the way that this catechism was built is it was built off of a series of questions, and the very first question of the, of the Westminster larger catechism is, what is the chief and highest end of man. So here's what, do we have that up? Yeah, so here we go. I'm, I'm going to ask you and then you're going to tell me, what is the chief and the highest end of man? And you're going to respond, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Would you say that again with me? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. That's, uh, that's old wisdom, right? That's old wisdom from, uh, from our Scottish brethren from, uh, from the 17th century. Pretty great stuff, isn't it? The greatest thing that you and I can find, the greatest thing that you and I can do is to submit ourselves, to let, the, to let God and the Lord Jesus Christ be primary in our lives and to live to seek his glory. Amen? Amen? All right. Um. Let's, let's close like this. Let me, let me just pray for us here, and, and, uh, and I'll let you guys go. Um, Lord, there's so many ways in our lives that, that, we, that we tend to think that life is all about us. It, sometimes in our marriages, sometimes in relationship to our children, in our relationship with our spouses, our friends, and we tend to think that, that we're supreme. But Lord God, we know that's not the truth. We know the truth is, is that you are the one who is supreme uh, in the universe. You are the one who has a supreme purpose that, that we can be a part of. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help us this week in our relationships, in, in our marriages, in our relationship to our children. I pray that you would help us to put you first, to say to you, Lord God, we want, I want to honor you. I want to, just like the Lord Jesus Christ says, did and said, I don't want to seek my own glory because if I did, it would mean nothing. Instead, I want to seek your glory. I don't want to seek my own happiness first because I know there's just no end to that and it's misery for me and misery for the people around me. Instead, Lord God, I want to seek your glory. I want to ask every day and every decision and every relationship that I have, I want to ask, Lord God, what would honor you? What would bring you glory? And then, Lord God, I pray that you would help us uh, to choose you, uh, to look to you as our great God and the one who gives us a great purpose in our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for all the work that you've done in us. We thank you for all the work that you're doing in us now. Thank you for the change that you're bringing to people in this body uh, that we might glorify you uh, better and better every day. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies, if you would like to be here um, to, uh, to, to discuss uh, some help with some showers and uh, the deployment party, um, then be here at 3 o'clock this afternoon, and uh, we'll kinda, they'll kind of get working and get some things together then. Y'all have a great week. Love you.